Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. With some stratospheric valuations of companies that seem disconnected from revenue and more investment money flowing into healthcare, you might expect to see some incredible innovations and companies emerge. To be sure, there have been some, but not as many as expected and certainly not enough to fill the enormous gaps in healthcare. There was a lot of optimism around the shift to value-based care contracts, and while there are some solutions and companies who are successfully working this model, the rollout has been spotty at best. Part of the problem stems from an entrenched system that does not want to move away from what works for it towards value, and healthcare comes with built-in shortcomings that have hindered and tripped up many an investor and innovator alike. Shifting the workflow to a new model that challenges the traditional way of thinking and the flow of payments in many cases might result in better care and savings, but oftentimes does not flow to the groups that delivered on that promise. Having great data, insights and analytics does not translate to better, more economic care. And the devil, in this case, turns out to be in the detail of execution and getting everyone unified behind an idea and its success. Meanwhile, incentives work, but they must be targeted and customized to the individual circumstance and situation to make the right thing to do the easiest thing to do at the precise moment in the care of that patient by that clinician. Join me on Healthcare Upside Down as I talk with Michael Meng, He is the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Stella Health. Michael has been investing in healthcare companies for over a decade and served on boards at a wide range of successful companies that's given him a unique perspective on how to successfully drive the right behavior change in healthcare. He believes that investments should flow to the doers in healthcare based on incentives and system design. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. So uh, you've been long time investing in uh, the healthcare space. We are living in, I I don't want to say extraordinary times because maybe this has happened in the past, but it certainly feels like extraordinary investments piling into healthcare with some incredible valuations. Has the market lost its mind? Yeah, I think um, sometimes even as a personal investor, I worry about the markets as a whole, right? I mean, whether whether it's NFTs and all sorts of stuff that people are buying nowadays, just buy any asset that's not nailed down, it seems is the answer. Um, and I do think we do have 
inflationary kind of funding pressures in a macro econ sense. Um, and then more specifically in healthcare, what I find that's interesting is people have kind of seen at least a couple feedback loops, right? I'm saying they've actually gotten the public exit. It's a really great exit. That's, that's what gets people excited. And, and then they were saying, well, if that, that fund or that investment made that type of return, we should be pouring in. Uh, you saw this, for example, in the mobility sector, right? There was Uber, Lyft, and then scooters. And all of a sudden, everyone wanted to pour money in there. So I do think there's a little bit of concern to be had that a lot of this investment is extraordinary and maybe not fully warranted um, at the end of the day. But uh, I think time will tell. On the other hand, you know, the optimistic side of me, I'll tell you, is really positive, right? I mean, I think what's also happening is this confluence of if you have made some wealth uh, or, or done had some good returns, maybe mission does matter more and more, right? And this obviously, I think a lot of Americans would agree, we got to fix and change this healthcare system that's quite broken. doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a school teacher, right, in, in, in the Midwest, or you are an executive on, on Wall Street, it doesn't matter. This stuff has to get fixed. Um, and, and we do believe in that. And so at least there's some silver lining, which is all this investment does hopefully fund some people who will, uh, some companies that will change uh, how healthcare is carried out. You know, it's interesting. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about all the investment warnings that go with, you know, anytime you make a trade or do any of those things, you know, uh, past performance not to be recognized, but it sounds like all these people are just following the crowd. Um, and, you know, if you're a laggard in that, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Um, are there any diamonds in the rough in there? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, first of all, some of the care models that are out there today, and I'd say, you know, Oak Street, Chenmed, Iora, I, I love what they do. I mean, this idea of kind of reinventing how care is delivered and creating the vertical stack, as sometimes they'll say, from the ground up is very powerful, right? Like to say, hey, you're only going to have 500 patients on your panel, and I, I'm going to treat you, all these patients, very differently. I'm going to spend 45 minutes with them, not just even five or 10 minutes. Um, some of those things really do work, uh, and I think it, 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 it'll, it'll bear out. Um, whether the valuations are right, I mean, I'm not going to comment on that, um, and it's, it's a bigger question, but I think some of those are, are real. And, and I think the big thing I'd say, Nick, there is efficacy, 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 efficacy. Everything, in, whether it's a drug therapeutic or anything else, you care about efficacy, right? Does this work? Does this not work? Um, and that's something that everyone should hold themselves to as much as they can. So how do you go about measuring that? I mean, as I think about all of this money that's invested, all these different models, and you, you know, you talk about different times with patients, what are the sort of drivers for that that can be successful? Because ultimately, what everybody wants, you know, and you talked about the Wall Street uh, executive, um, you know, the, the person that works in a store, everybody wants the same thing, I think, is great healthcare at high quality. But how do we get to that with this variable sort of approach? Yeah, I think part of the problem um, will be, in general, how do you change an entire large entrenched system towards this idea of value, right? And, and I think where some of the um, maybe not failures, but shortcomings have been is, I think there's a lot of people out there who think if you structured a value-based care contract, so just because the provider's taking risk and has quality gates, that that solves the problem. Um, I don't think that's true. I think that just creates a contractual arrangement 
that you then need all the people and their staff and the underlying people who are out there in the field on the front lines to carry that out. That's a much more complex, difficult problem than just I have the contract. Even take some of the models we just named who have been successful and maybe public. They have the contracts, but the contracts alone do not make that company. It's the delivery of it, the organization of all the different team members, how they carry it out that actually make that company and the value that company brings, right? So the challenge we're going to have is how do you get all of the U.S. healthcare system, no matter where you are, to want to act and behave in those same ways and teaching them that that is a better way to make money, better to keep populations healthy than to let them end up sick or needing something serious in terms of care. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. It's, you know, this, this huge... I mean, if it's not the largest, it's certainly one of the largest industries, employers, you know, many folks invested in this business and the current model. What I think I hear you saying is that you can still have that benefit, but drive a better behavior, but not simply by changing it. Oh, we're moving to value-based contract. There's, there's more to it. So what is it? How do you get to that point? I think um, I'm always reminded by something pretty simple, which is when the last time you went to a doctor and last time I saw a doctor, you still are seeing this doctor, the staff member, the front desk staff, medical assistant. The truth is because healthcare is a services business, that means someone is out there interacting with patients on the front lines every day. Those are the people who are going to have to do it. I think a lot of the solutions so far have been Let's go fish for them, right? Let's build another team that maybe complements them. And that's not going to work because what you're fundamentally asking is that unit, that person who interacted with you to do something different. And that's where we need to drive all of our efforts as a whole. Um, I talk about this a lot in, in terms of in healthcare, when I've looked at investments too myself, everyone focuses on the analytics, insights, what needs to get done. And, and that's valuable. I mean, it's not that that's not. But I think the harder part in healthcare is how do you make that happen? How do you get everyone to rally behind that? How do you get people to want to do those things? That's the much more challenging problem that we haven't been particularly successful with thus far. Yeah, I, I, and that for me is, is very much the incentive. We've tried lots of different approaches to this. We've incentivized behavior and you do get what you incent, but it creates some stresses in the system that seem to sort of push boundaries of, in, in some instances, good behavior. And I don't think it always starts out at that. We just sort of normalize some of that behavior. How do you get people to behave the right way and solve for the how as opposed for the, to the what? Yeah, I think first off, you do want the, call it macro rewards or the meta rewards for what someone does to roughly tie to obviously what you wanted them to do. Take even maybe your role as an example, you have team members that you reward annually with salary bonus, and, and you want them to perform a certain way. And then you hope that how you reward them in your assessment tied to the behaviors you wanted. Um, in healthcare, we probably want the same idea, 
Uh, and that's the tricky part is that a lot of it is set by something we have called physician fee schedule, right? So instead we measure units of time in which you've seen someone, but not necessarily the types of things you do in that units of time. Um, and so the more refined you can get towards that, I think in healthcare, the better off we will be to align those raise money for it probably. And yet in our country, 35% of women over the age of 50 who are supposed to get mammograms every other year are not, right? It's crazy. It's one third of the women. And, and as you may know, mammograms are not expensive. So it's not a cost question. It's just, it's not getting done. Um, and, and then when you kind of drill into why that is, so we pay a physician today, maybe $100 for a 15 minute visit. We don't say if it's a woman over 60, you should probably be asking her to get a mammogram if she hasn't got one last year, right? So those types of behaviors you do want to reward for. And the more granular you can get to that level, I think the better it off it is because you're obviously not going to say to the 25-year-old male, go get a mammogram, right? So you got to be targeted about when you use those incentives and how they do, they're used. And if you accumulate enough of those, now the physician as a whole and their staff are rewarded for all these things that are the right things. And that is what leads to hopefully these better outcomes that I think we're all seeing. I, I got to say, I can hear my colleagues in, in my ear I, um, challenging this concept and saying, wait a second, we are not some kind of widget factory. You can't put things in. There is no sort of straightforward flow. I, I need my clinical freedom. You're removing all of that. You're removing the value, the contribution that I bring. It, it seems a complete contraindication to the high quality medicine, the personalized interaction that people are looking for. Yeah, it's a really, really fair pushback too. And I'd say, I, I hear it all the time. I do get this uh, comment quite a bit. And I think there's probably two components of it. The first is, is the physician then still independent and autonomous to make these determinations? Right? The person who was trained for 10 plus years took a Hippocratic oath. Um, and the answer is yes, right? Even in our construct, we're, we're trying to say, here's some suggestions, here's some thoughts for you. Do you want this to be um, a, a very clear system of reward or do you want it to stay opaque? And I'd say that it's staying opaque then relies on other factors, that doctor wanting to do these things just by maybe innate nature. And we see this in actually what we find in healthcare all the time. I've seen doctors who, uh, there's a doctor I knew who, whose wife had breast cancer and would frequently push this point of getting mammograms, just naturally good at it, right? Because of something that happened in their lives, his own partner in the same group, poor at it. It was very interesting, right? That your partner's in the same group, you practice side by side, yet one of you is really good at it because of some life event and the other one isn't. And what we're just trying to say is, don't you want both to be good at it? Like that's, that's probably what we want to incentivize ultimately um, in, in a situation where they determine it is kind of the best thing to do. So we, we find that there is a, uh, a challenge with the um, experience of physicians who, you know, there's only so much time and contribution. How do you enable that? I, I mean, it's great. You incent it. And I, I think most people follow the incentives, but sometimes they're just unable to because of time, because of all of the other pressures. What, what's, this, what's the methodology to overcome this? It can't just be based on personal experience. We've got to supplement that. How do we go about doing that? Well, Nick, you, you hit on something that's really important even for us when we think about it, which is 
incentives are one side, right? And maybe I'll, I'll give you a framework, which is for anyone to want to do anything, <laughs> there's two sides of the equation. There's the activation energy required, right? So how hard is it? Do you want to go work out this morning? How hard is it for you to want to get up, put on the shoes and go running, right? Like that's activation barrier is a question. And the other side is, what do you get for it? So the incentive, so the reward side of this, right? And in our product teams, I always say, one of the big things is, while we can increase the incentives to do these things, the other side of the equation is, can you lower the activation barrier for any of this as much as possible? And I'll give you real life examples of how that happens for the physician. Number one, you want the information and those incentives to be prompted in their workflow, when it's in front of them, right? And too many of these uh, solutions out there you know, maybe give a report on all the missing patients who need a prescription. Yeah, those patients aren't in front of you now. That's really hard. That's not in the workflow. So one thing you can do to help someone, who, a doctor who's short on time is make sure they know exactly what they could do when the patient's in front of them, right? So like making it easier so they're best positioned in that situation. Uh, it's actually a great analogy might be why, is, why does Uber as a business work so well? What it actually is doing is utilization management in terms of which car is best positioned right now to pick you up that's cost effective, right? Versus someone doing a round trip out to you and then round trip back. And we're saying the same thing. If you actually get that information to the doc right at the right time, that person is now best positioned in a way where maybe it only adds three to four minutes to their time and they happen to be seeing that patient that's how you can lower the activation barrier and really make it easy to do. Um, another analogy we sometimes say is picture that we're trying to say you have a heads up display like Google glasses for this doctor. And so you want them to know the right things when they're, when they want to know it. Um, and that in itself is how you're going to actually drive a lot of this. So there's actually both sides, not just only incentives. It's how do you make it easy for them? I, you know, I, I, I like that you focus on that barrier because the incentive for me is a little bit of temptation bundling. You're, you're bundling, um, uh, uh, you know, a positive with, I, I don't want to call it a negative. It's not a negative. You're inducing better behavior, but that barrier to sort of entry always exists. It's, you know, and once you make it habit, it's a good thing. Um, all of that sounds great, but how do you go about measuring that? What's the sort of approach to, um, make sure that you're getting the right response. And if you're not, being able to correct. So one of the things uh, we do, Nick, is we really watch engagement. Part of this is maybe 21st century or 20, 21st century kind of tech, right? 2020 tech, which is that like no different from any of the app you may use, we monitor engagement really closely. So think of it as a funnel of, of work, right? So the first thing you need is the doctor or the staff member to log in. If they don't log in, it doesn't really matter. They won't see anything, right? It won't change anything. Next step is they need to actually know the information on that patient, pull it up in front of them. They need to have that as they walk into the visit. We monitor that. It's actually our one on KPI two for us. First one I named was KPI one, right? Now that you have the information in front of you, now you care, do they convert? Do they actually do the thing that we incentivize for that we hopefully made reasonably easy for you. Uh, do they do those things? And when they convert that all the way through, and I'm not saying we're perfect at it because people still have freedom of choice. They decide whether they want to do it or not. Um, but when they convert, those actions do add up to the ultimate outcomes you want, whether it's 
five-star metric on the mammogram rate, uh, breast cancer screening rate, or it's doing a transitions of care visit. So that's literally how we track everything in our technology to really see where are people engaging and falling off, where are they not? And that's actually how we course correct instead. It's using kind of that modern framework for how technology is used to really drive that behavior, which I think is quite different from, from most companies out there. So I, I, I want to be clear. You're saying that you can tie those, uh, those steps, those KPIs at the front end together with the incentive and that you know, elevation of a, a specific task, and you're tying it back to quality measures. Is that true? That's exactly right. In fact, I can even predict it. So if I see even one month of here's how much they did in engagement and in KPI 2 and then KPI 3, I can actually tell you how they're going to perform ultimately in all this stuff, right? And that's actually the real powers. We're tracking those types of things to see how you actually will ultimately um, do in the outcomes type measures that our clients really want or pay us for. Well, I think all of this is great news. I mean, essentially what we're talking about is a whole incentive program that is tied to actual quality, quality measures at the downstream where we, you know, for the most part, we can see them. But in that, you know, granular detail that sort of induces those individual behaviors and starts, I would imagine, to induce um, repetitive behavior that becomes established so that you can move on to other things. I mean, this is truly fascinating. Um, Michael, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Nick. And you hit the nail on the head there. I see, I'll just leave one last quote my CTO always says, which I love. Um, a lot of our providers, they come for the SVUs, which is our incentive payment, but they stay for the workflow. So creating a workflow and process that makes the right choice the easiest choice is critical. These techniques have been applied to road safety for years bringing down accidents and fatalities around the world from motor vehicle accidents. Simple features that change the flow of traffic or pedestrians has had an amazing positive impact. We have the same opportunity in healthcare, not removing choice or options, but providing the right guidance and guardrails that make the safest and optimal option the easiest. Measuring each step in the process offers valuable data on the success, or not, of these interventions and allows for continued improvement and refinement based on everyone's input. Your better pill to swallow is to think deeply about your incentive structure. It's an old adage, but you get what you incent, and that's true in healthcare as much as anywhere else. If you want quality, that needs to be front and centre. Not just the statement, but the actual elements of quality, and more importantly, the steps and path, making that the easiest choice or option for everyone involved. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.